So today, Father, we just thank you for your word. I pray, Father, that you will speak to our hearts. Father, the words that I bring, they have no power to change a life. But Father, the words that you bring by the power of your Holy Spirit, they can come to our hearts and they can bring change. And we pray, Father, that as your word goes forward today, that you will anoint those words and that you will bring change to each one of us, to me as I speak and to those who listen. Amen. So Mark came back with a theme for this year. He's talking about Jesus answering the big questions of life. Isn't that a magnificent theme that there are big questions of life and we're going to look at how Jesus answers those. And I felt today that God wanted me to speak on being faithful in little things is a big thing. It's one of the big issues of life. And we're looking, we've actually been looking at the Bible together and in six months, reading through the WordWise program, we have actually covered 3,000 years of history. The Bible is not a history of mankind. The Bible is God's communication with us. It's God's story to us where he tells us what the big issues of life are from our perspective. He tells us what we need to know so that our faith stands on a sure communication from God and so that we can communicate to others the basics of our faith. And the first 2,000 years of history that we have covered together was actually covered in 11 chapters, the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Only God could take 2,000 years of history and, and put it so beautifully into 11 chapters and God talks about the creation of the universe, the creation of mankind, sin, God's judgment on sin. You get the beginning of the story of salvation, the, the hint of the Redeemer. And, and God also talks about the birth of nations. And these things are critical to our understanding of our Christian faith. And not only that, in these first 11 chapters of Genesis, we also get delightful little insights like it talks about Methuselah, who lived for 969 years. So this man lived for half, nearly half, of this 2,000-year period. And Enoch had a dad. I love this one. Enoch had a father called, sorry, Methuselah had a father called Enoch. And it says in the Bible that Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. And I wonder sometimes, why did God put that in there? And you know what? God loves relationship with us. And I think just as God boasted about Job to Satan, I think God had a little boast. He just loved this relationship. This man walked with him. And the old timers used to say, one day when Enoch and God were walking together, God said to Enoch, we're closer to my home than we are to yours. Let's go home. And God took him home. And that tells me how much God values relationship in this 2,000-year history, God puts Enoch in there. Today, we are looking at... Sorry, I missed this, the 1,000-year... <laughs> I beg your pardon. So we've looked at this 2,000 years of history, and then we've also looked at the next 1,000 years of history, which covered... You had the call of Abraham, the beginning of the Jewish nation, the 400 years of slavery in Egypt, 
This is in these early chapters that we have covered. And that's really critical to our understanding of our Christian life. Those 400 years of slavery in Egypt, that's a picture to us of how you and I lived before we came to Christ under the domination, the slavery of sin and Satan. And God gives us a story. And he says, in this story, I explain to you the issue of slavery. And then, of course, God goes on. He brings in a redeemer. He brings in Moses. And we hear about the 40 years in the wilderness. And then they enter under Joshua into the promised land. And that's what we're looking at at the moment, this period in the promised land. And we are up to the kings. We're up to the two kings. The first king who was set up over Israel was a man called Saul. And what had happened was the people had looked around about them at the nations around about them. And the nations around them had kings. And the people started to say, we want a king. Give us a king. And they had a really bad attitude about it. They weren't interested in God's timing. It's just very demanding. We want, we want, give us a king. That's actually a dangerous position to take with God. God wants us to pursue him and he wants us to chase after him. He wants us to seek him earnestly. And God is calling us to do that this year. But he wants our attitude to be one of submission. And the people didn't have that with this first King Saul. And Saul was a good looking man. He looked apart, taller than anybody else. And in the end, Saul rebelled against God and God rejected him. But the second king, The second king is David, a man after God's own heart. And Mark talked two weeks ago about Hannah. Remember how Mark talked about how Hannah travailed? She wanted this son and God put this desire in her for a son. And she travailed for the birth of a son. And the son she gave birth to was a man called Samuel. He's a prophet. He was the last judge, the last man that God gave decision-making to in in Israel. And sorry, Samuel walked with God. He was a real man of God. And God spoke to Samuel and he said, I want you to go to the house of Jesse and you are going to anoint a king. So he goes to the house of Jesse. There's seven sons, I believe. And Samuel, not one of them, was the man that God told him to anoint. And here's Samuel. He's listening to the voice of God. Just as his mother listened to the voice of God, Samuel's listening to the voice of God. And he turns to Jesse and said, do you have another son? And David, a man after God's own heart, we estimate he was somewhere between 10 and 13 years old. But he was a young man, but he was beginning to carry adult responsibilities. He had to kill a lion and he had to kill a bear and he was holding down an adult role. And... David was the man that God had chosen. And he says, the Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart. And God looks at us today and he's looking for that response. He's looking for us to pursue him. As Nathan said, he's looking for us to make him first in our lives this year. And the Bible says that the Lord has appointed David as ruler over his people. So here's this young man anointed as the future king of Israel at the age somewhere between the age of 10 and 13. And for a couple of years, things went really well for David. He actually came to prominence very quickly. Between when he was 15 and 17, he was visiting his brothers and he heard about this giant called Goliath who was 
threatening the armies of the Philistines and the Philistines were cowering in fear. And this young man, he knew what the real issue was and he said to Goliath, he said, you come against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. But he said, I come against you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the, the ruler of the armies of Israel, who you have defied. So David knew the issue. Goliath defied the living God. And the Bible says David ran towards him and he had a slingshot, five stones. Fell Goliath with the first stone and he took his head off. Bloodthirsty world they live in. But this was a remarkable man. And he became known very quickly in Israel. And they used to sing about him. Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his tens of thousands. And we tend to be a bit goal-orientated. And I wonder at that particular point in time if most of us would have been thinking, yeah, bring on the kingship. I'm ready for it. I'm ready for the kingship. But in actual fact, God didn't do that. You know when, how old David was when he took on the crown of Judah, which was the first kingship? He, 30 years old, Mark. Yeah, he was 30 years old. So what happened between when he's 15 and 17 and before he took on the kingship? That's about 13 to 15 years. What happened to David? We'd like to think he was sitting in the courts of Saul, just learning how to be a godly king. And briefly he did. But Saul became very jealous of David. And he... Saul actually tried to kill David on a number of occasions and he pursued David. And any people who tried to help David, Saul was killing him off. And David was on the run. He, um, there's a really interesting little episode that... Very little interesting... Oh, sorry, that prints a bit small for you, isn't it? Fine, thank you. There's a very interesting little episode because I look at this period of time and that's the time when a man or a woman, you're either made in God or you're broken in God. Because the thing is that David could have really got an attitude. He's on the run. He's been appointed king. He's known around Israel as the, the one who slew tens of thousands. He's taken Goliath's head off. He could have really said, you know, bring it on. What's the problem? What's the delay? And he could have got angry at God because God was taking his time. And this little episode is an interesting one because David is small for me, so I won't try to read it. But David had actually gone to Archish, the king of Gath. Now, Gath was an enemy. They were enemies of Israel. So David has gone there because Saul is chasing him and trying to kill him. And the people in the court of the king of Gath begin to talk about David and they say, He's the king of Israel. He's the one they sing about, the one who's slain tens of thousands. And David hears this and he's frightened. And it says in the Bible account, he started pretending to be insane. He's scratching at the doors and he's dribbling and drooling down his beard, you know, like, I'm just insane. And the king looks at him and he says, I've got a court full of insane people. What are you bringing me another one for? And so... David escapes from Gath and he goes and hides in the cave of Adullam. And, and the Bible tells us there were 400 men who actually came and joined him there. But here's David. And he could have really wished those years away, you know. It's, sometimes we tend to be so 
It's like we're goal-orientated. I find I tend to be goal-orientated. I'm looking for the next high points to come along. And it's like, I, if only this, you know, like, if only this was passed or if only this would come and everything would be wonderful. But God looks at it and God's actually interested in the process. He's interested in today. And I look at David and I think, what did David do? In that situation, what was his heart? And as we read the Psalms, we begin to really know God's heart. You see, God actually walks with us today. God doesn't just walk with us in the high points of life. He walks with us in the times of crisis. And you might have noticed in Psalm 23, this is one of the Psalms that has comforted so many people. And King David wrote the Psalm. And in Psalm 23, verse 4, who doesn't know it? It says, we all know it. It says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. God, you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. How did David know that? Did David just think of pretty words and put them down on a piece of paper? No. You know why David knew that God was with him in the valley of the shadow of death? Because he walked through the valley of the shadow of death and he discovered that God was with him. He faced a lion and a bear and Goliath. He, he was pursued by Saul. He, he was on the run. He was on the run from foreign enemies and he learned something of enormous value that God was with him. And what he learned has comforted men and women down through the ages. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 4, it talks about the fact that We can comfort others with the comfort that God comforts us with when we're going through a hard time. You see, God comforts us. Nathan mentioned this uh, before. God actually comforts us, not this example, so that we can give away. So we can comfort others with the comfort we have received. That's what God gives to us. He says, give it away. Give it away. You find me in the middle of, of life and give it away to somebody else. You see, one of the things I have discovered is that God is good, but it can be hard to hang on to that. David and I adopted a couple of children who had been treated very badly, or quite badly. And unless children like that find a very strong relationship with God, which our children have not yet done, there's stages of life where these children actually behave in a fairly predictable way. And one of them is when they hold their first child in their arms and they look down at this baby that they've helped to create and they've given birth to. They look at the baby and their hearts are filled with love and the desire to protect this baby. And yet they also find their hearts are filled with rage and fury because what happened to them? Their birth parents didn't protect and love them. Their birth parents failed them. And so fortunately they don't hurt the baby. The baby's vulnerable They want to get their hands on the birth parents who treated them so badly, but they can't. The birth parents aren't there. Who knows where they are? And their rage and this fury is inside of them. So where can they turn it? Only one place they can turn it, they turn it on the parents who raised them because you're there. And we went through it with our daughter for two years. Two years she was actually on the run and wanted nothing to do with us because we did this to her. And then one morning she wakes up and she says, oh, I'm angry, but mum and dad didn't do this. Oh, so she comes back. So I'm ready to come back now. 
I think, right, if I'd known you were coming, I would have locked the door and hidden under the bed because it's easier. But I thought, I'm the grown-up here, so I have to rise to this occasion, rise to the challenge. But you need a strong relationship with God. I actually talked to my sister this morning. I have a brother who... um, He's been helped out all through his life, which has been a grave. Whenever he has a need, somebody met it. It's been a grave disservice to him. He's 55 and he's dying, actually. And I said to my sister, if people took their hands off, and my sister has just bailed him out, I said, if you took your hands off and let him hit the bottom, he could meet with God. And she said to me, oh, just this week he'd run out of money. Again, he runs out of money all the time and people give him more money. He'd run out of money. He had no way of getting more. So he said, I don't believe in you, God. And his attitude wasn't very good. But, you know, I don't believe in you, but, you know, meet me here. And God is so gracious. We move one inch towards God and God actually met his need. And I said to my sister, I hope you remembered to thank God for that. But sometimes we have to let people hit the bottom because in hitting the bottom... They've got nowhere else to turn but God. And turning to God is the source of our strength. Mark was talking about the fact, Proverbs 2, verse 3 to 5, it says, if you call out for insight, if you cry aloud for understanding, if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, hidden treasure, Liz spoke about it last week, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Sometimes we have to dig deeper. God wants us to pursue him. And there are treasures in God that are not found unless you set your heart to seek him. And God is calling us as a church this year. He's saying, seek me. Dig deeper. Dig into my word. Spend the time in relationship with me. Dig for it and search for it and you'll find it. You'll find God. What did David do in those years? One of the things that David did he made sure he held onto his godly values and he honoured God-given leadership. David had a couple of opportunities where he could have killed King Saul. He had the opportunity. There were men who encouraged him to do it. And he said, Saul is God's anointed. I will not lift my hand against him. And so what David did in this time, this almost like a valley time, he said, I'm hanging on to God's values. I'm not backing off. I'm hanging on to God's values. So he stood for what he knew to be right in God. So David was crowned king over Judah when he was 30 years old. And I guess there was a lot of pomp and splendor in that. But David actually found, as no doubt any of us would find, being king is not really all it's cracked up to be. Being king... It's just, it's just another set of responsibilities. You have responsibilities to fulfill. And initially, David did very well. He um, did well spiritually. He did well in a military fashion. He was a man who really had an ability to draw people around about him because he put himself out there. He was willing to lead the way. Ultimately, though... Uh, David made some really bad mistakes, as we all do. Well, not the same mistakes, but he committed adultery. He murdered Uriah. He didn't hold the generals in his army in check. And he also failed to provide a strong godly leadership in his family, 
one of his sons, Amnon, raped his half-sister. David didn't intervene. And then before you know it, another son, Absalom, is so outraged about this that he just wants to kill David and take over the throne. So David was a man after God's own heart. But when we look at the kings of Israel, one of the things that we see is that human government will always let us down. And, and God, in, in that, God puts in our heart a desire for the government that can never fail, which is the rule of Jesus Christ. And as Christians, we wait for that and we long for that. So I actually wonder if, you know how you have favorite stories. This incident with Shimei, to me, I wonder if this may not actually have been David's finest hour as a man. David had, he had gone through all his mistakes, he'd repented. And this man called Shimei was actually a member of the family of Saul. And Shimei actually really displayed a lot of courage. He comes out, David was with his guards. David was strongly protected by soldiers and troops. And this man, Shimei, comes and he starts cursing David in front of his men. He's cursing him publicly. He pelted him with stones. He said, you're a murderer. You're, you know, you're just, you're bad egg. And one of the men with David said, we'll take him down for you. Why should this dead dog curse the king? You know, let's off with his head. And David stood his ground and he said, no, no, you won't touch him. He said, my own son is trying to kill me. And he said, God has sent Shimei. He sent Shimei to curse me. And I will take that from the hand of God. And I think that's actually an amazingly heroic thing. And it's something that I find myself turning back to in the circumstances of life and remembering. In the area that David and I live in, there used to be a lot of family homes. But now, as people move out of the area, our area has been targeted by overseas buyers who don't want to set up family homes. They want to buy parcels of land, adjoining parcels of land, and then they build multi-density homes on it, flats and things. And there's been this deterioration. You notice the rubbish is piling up. I don't like man-made rubbish. I like weeds and bugs and things, but I don't like man-made rubbish. And the rubbish has been piling up on the streets. And one day I thought, I don't live in a rubbish heap. I do not. And I thought, I'm going to take it on myself. I'm going to clean some of these streets up. So I started going out with my bucket and picking up all the rubbish. So I bring it back and I stick it in my bin. I'm on top of this. I've got this under control. So I'm doing this for a while. And then I notice there's suddenly this increase in rubbish. The more rubbish I pick up, the more rubbish is out there. And it's bigger rubbish. You know, things like mattresses and beds and washing machines and massive big things that won't fit in my bin. So I ring the council and I ring the council and I ring the council and they pick it up and they pick it up. And they... But it's like a dam. The walls of the dam have opened. Here's all this rubbish. And not only that, I stand in my kitchen window. The people next door, then they don't do rubbish. They're young men studying for their PhD. And I think this is partly a cultural thing. They don't do rubbish. So the rubbish is piling up, piling up right outside my kitchen window. And not only that, I've got a clothesline on the same side of the house as these fellas live. And they don't do rubbish. So here's all the open bags of rubbish. And they have food spilling out. 
And the blowflies are around the food and around the food. And I wash my clothes and I hang it out for the fresh breeze and the sunshine to finish off the process. And I think, there blowflies are coming and walking on my washing. I'm thinking, I'm seriously displeased about this. I'm thinking about what I can do. And then I think about King David. I think, okay, I think I had better ask God what's happening here because this is odd. And when things are odd, it's a really good time to say to God, what's going on here? Could you please explain this to me? Because there's something beyond the natural happening here. So I said to God, what is it? What's going on? And I realized that there is a lot, quite a large percentage of the homes in our street have got multicultural families in them. I used to have to catch a train and go three stations south to do multicultural. Now, I just have to walk out on my footpath and sit down with a cup of tea and people from these different religions and different nations come and talk to me. I thought, okay, you know what was happening? I was looking at piles of rubbish, and I still picked the rubbish up, by the way. I'm looking at these piles of rubbish, and what was I seeing? I was seeing that my nice, clean world was not quite as comfortable as I wanted it to be. I was seeing that I was feeling like this world is my home, and it ought to meet a certain standard. And you know what God was seeing? He's seeing men and women. He's brought them from foreign countries. Cleaning up rubbish is the least of their concerns. They're men and women who at this moment are going to a Christless eternity. And I thought what I am seeing and what God is seeing are two different things. And I better, I better get on God's bandwagon. Seriously, I need to get on his bandwagon. So I've been working on that. See, God saw men that Christ had died for. I've actually, I've watched these men next door, you see. They think... They're students and they're doing their PhDs and they're clever. They're clever blokes. And they kind of think they're all grown up. And they don't sleep at night. I reckon they sleep between about 3 a.m. and 5 a.m. And so what they do is they walk up and down outside our bedroom window and they got family over in India and they talk to their families in the middle of the night. But, you know, India's a really long way away. And to communicate with your family, you have to speak in a really loud voice. So they're walking up and down. They're speaking in really loud voices. They're puffing on the cigarettes and the smoke is coming in. And not only that, they've got all this rubbish. And they think they're growing up. And I think, I don't think you're growing up. I think you're undisciplined children. Because, for one thing, growing up people pick up the trash. (laughs) And I've actually... I actually arranged a few little wake-up calls, you know, because sometimes we have to help folks along. But you <laughs> so much for Shimai. But you see, becoming an adult, it's a bit like becoming a king. It's not about freedom. It's actually about taking responsibility. So young people, if you think being grown-ups about freedom, it's actually not. It's about taking on more responsibility in life. God actually values little things. The scripture from Luke 16 verse 10 says, if you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large things. And I noticed when we first came here, the toilets had to be cleaned. So who's the first person? Put your fingers in your ears, Mark. You don't need to hear this. Who's the first person out there cleaning the toilets? 
It's Mark. He's the senior pastor of the church. He's out there cleaning the toilets. We sort of thought, wow, you know, Mark cleans the toilets. I'm glad to follow one man who cleans the toilets. But then we start to think about it and we think, we don't want Mark cleaning the toilets. We want Mark out here where the afternoon tea is so we can bail him up and talk to him about our issues. So we let Mark know, didn't we, that we wanted him available to us. And because Mark has a servant heart, he modelled for us how to have a certain heart, a servant heart, and he made himself available. So, but being faithful in small things is of great value to God. If you want to know what God feels, look at the small things. Sometimes growing up can be enormously painful. I've noticed this with my children and and with others, it can be really painful because you're wanting to be your own person and it's very easy to sort of begin to demand, you know, I'm an adult, treat me like an adult, give me what I want, give me my freedom. But one of the things about that we can actually do is we can start to say, well, what's it actually like to be a growing up, to be an adult? What does it look like to be an adult? And one of the things that adults do, adults share the load. Adults get shoulder to shoulder. And this is something beautiful to see in the church. Adults get shoulder to shoulder and they share the load together. So if you're wanting to be more adult, one of the things that you can look at doing is just looking around and saying, how can I share the load? You know, like in the life of the church, who's cleaning the toilets or at home during the week, who cleans up after the evening meal or what about making your bed that's a grown-up thing it's nice to have the beds made so small things matter to God God is a master at knowing the value of small things all those years that David was on the run it was the small things it was maintaining the small things maintaining his heart before God Liz spoke last week about God being your treasure And I wanted to ask a question today. Is God still your greatest treasure when you've been anointed king and it's followed by years on the run, which was David had to answer that question? These are real questions. Is God your greatest treasure? And we know reading the book of Psalms that David answered that question and said, yes. What about when your internet connection fails? That's really frustrating. Is God still your greatest treasure? Or the blowflies walk on your washing? my little thing, where I'm looking at it, probably in my heart of hearts, I'm thinking this world is my home. I forgot that heaven was my home. That was a wake-up call for me. Is God my greatest treasure? I had to adjust my attitude. What about when God says, wait, or mum and dad say no? Well, sometimes your, your bestie or your child or your spouse breaks your heart. See, family members can break our heart, but is God still our greatest treasure? We get to choose that and we get to choose what we do. Oops, sorry, I've gone too far. I'm not very technical here. But one of the things about doing the right thing is sometimes it gets to be a drag, like cleaning up the rubbish on my street. I'd think, I don't want to do it. Nah, I don't want to do it. And what are we dealing with when we say, I don't want to do things? It's just a feeling. It's just a feeling. What are we going to choose? It comes back to choice. 
little quote up there says, discipline is doing what needs to be done when it needs to be done when we don't want to do it. And a lot of life is like that, kind of being growing up. You know, there are things we do, not because we wake up and think, oh, I feel like doing this, even seeking God. Sometimes we don't want to seek God. Sometimes we'd rather go for a walk or drink coffee. But we choose. And this year, we're choosing to follow God. God's got a hall of fame of people who said, this world is not our home. And there were people who were killed by the sword and sewn into, sworn into, and I can't read that small print, so <laughs> you get spared from that. Oh, they killed, yeah, they're mistreated. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These people knew what I forgot. They knew that this world was not their home, and God honoured them for that. So is this world your home? Do you live like it's your home? Are you like me and sometimes you forget? Our God is he's not a soft and comfortable God. Our Western culture is very soft and comfortable. But God is actually, he's strong. He's tender and he's compassionate. But he's also strong and he's no nonsense. And he's, he's an amazing God. And we're his children. See, God is our father and a strong, magnificent, tender, compassionate God is not going to want a bunch of soft kids who he wants us to choose to follow him. And he disciplines us because we're his children and he wants us to respond to that. God is amazing. I was talking to a young friend last week or she was talking to me and talking about hearing the voice of God. And she's saying, I can't hear the voice of God. And I have to acknowledge that hearing God's voice is something that it grows with maturity. But I actually think young people hear a lot more than they give themselves credit for. But like David, King David, when he came across Goliath, a Goliath, he, he ran at him and he took him on in the name of the Lord. And yet when Shimei came, he just said, let him curse me. Let him throw stones. How do we know how to respond? Well, some of knowing that comes with maturity. Sometimes it comes with seeking counsel. But if you don't know in a situation, do you know what really touches God's heart probably more than anything else? Just being faithful in the little things. Just saying to God, what can I do in this situation to show my love for you? What little thing can I pick up and just do for you in a faithful manner? Not just once or twice, but just how can I walk with you? Because God loves relationship with us like he did with Enoch. Enoch walked with God. God loves it when we walk with him. And God is a mighty, amazing God who created all things. And yet he places enormous value on the little things of life. If you want to touch the heart of God, just say to him, Lord, what can I do? What can I do? And don't look for the biggest thing. Look for a little thing that you can get alongside someone and share the load. Thank you. Do you want to close in prayer, Mark? Okay. Father, we just thank you that you love us. We thank you, Father God, that you are strong, that you are magnificent, that you are tender and compassionate. And, and Father, you just 
willing also that we take on the enemy and come through with flying colors. You're a God who wants us to seek you and to pursue you and to dig deep into your word and to search for you as for hidden treasure. You are an amazing God, Lord, and our hearts just swell with love for you when we consider that you are calling us this year to walk more closely with you and to walk more closely, Lord, with one another, shoulder to shoulder, as we look at how you answer the big questions of life and as we seek you for your purpose in this world around about us, a needy world, Father, with men and women who need to know you. So, Father, we thank you for your presence with us. We Uh, commit one another to you in this week that is coming. Amen.